Hello and welcome to the Ask the Geographer podcast series from the Department of Education and Outdoor Learning at the Royal Geographical Society with IBG. I'm Harry. In each podcast, I'll meet geographers from around the world to ask them about topical events, timely publications and geographical research. Stay Home Stories is a landmark research project aiming to explore how the pandemic has changed our relationship to home. It's a collaborative effort by Dr. Jacqueline Waldock and Professor Georgina Enfield, both from the University of Liverpool. Jacqueline is a specialist in sonic studies and sensory ethnography, i.e. community sound listening and memory. And Georgina focuses on environmental history with a special interest in the relationship between climate, health and well-being in a historical perspective, researching how events can be represented, reconstructed and explored differently. Today we're here to talk about how Stay Home Stories documented COVID-19 through the eyes of young people throughout 2020 and 2021. Thank you both for joining us today. Georgina, can you start by explaining the project and what was involved with the submission of children's maps to the Royal Geographical Society throughout COVID-19? Thanks, Harry. Yes. So we started off with an idea that we wanted to try to bring children's voices uh, into relief, essentially, and the feelings around the COVID crisis. And we we had this idea quite early on to try to capture the way in which children, particularly those you know between the ages of seven and fifteen, were were experiencing COVID and how it transformed their understandings of the home, particularly during the stay home period of the COVID crises when people were constrained within um, the immediate environs of the home. And so what we decided to do was rather than asking children to write about their experiences, we asked them to map their experiences, creating a map of their home and how it had changed for them during the period of crisis. And also because of the length of the project immediately after the stay home instruction was relieved. And so working with the Royal Geographical Society and the Institute of British Geographers, we were lucky enough to be able to set up uh, an online portal, if you will, where children could, by their schools, upload maps that they'd create in the classroom with their teachers, sometimes maybe as extracurricular activities or as part of a lesson, where they could upload maps that they'd drawn themselves, hand-drawn, which displayed their emotions, their feelings, their their perceptions and changing understandings of their immediate home environment. So there was that process um, online that the RGS facilitated, which was fantastic. And we also reached out to schools directly via our own teachers and education-based links through the university as well. So it was via schools. And we tapped into the RGS's extensive school networks to help us reach as broad a possible range of schools as possible. It's a very inclusive approach as well. We've got schools from different parts of the country who've participated in this uh, exercise, as well as the, the schools that are directly linked to the RGS through the networks and the education team. So it's been very um, open, very inclusive approach, really. And Jackie, can I turn to you? What was the criteria for submission? And is it still open if there's a geography teacher listening now for them to encourage their students to submit? So the criteria was, was really broad. We just asked children to draw maps of their home and how it had changed during COVID-19. And we gave them quite a free reign on that because we wanted them to be able to explore different aspects of being in space and and different aspects of how they could represent how they had utilised space or understood it in that way. So it was inc- incredibly broad in that sense. The only restrictions really is that it has to fit on one page because 
we need to be able to display it in the gallery. And we did get some submissions that were over one page, which was fine. And we, we managed to deal with them. Um, and they were really beautiful, but preferably one page um, would be great. And um, we're planning on ending the gallery earlier, but we've just keep having a kind of trickle of children's maps coming in. And I think at the moment, we're still kind of open to receiving those. We want to be able to collate as many children's voices as possible. And we want the opportunity for as many schools and for as many children to be able to voice their experiences as we can. And obviously, the more diverse and the larger group of children that submit to that project, the um, better that resource is for the future. So we would love to still receive some admissions if teachers would like to send them to us. And that's still open through the RGS. And uh, if we get some really lovely map submissions, sometimes we like to send out certificates to some children if something really excellent comes along that we just think that's just a really unique way of thinking about it or that's a really exceptional use of visuals or uh, language or representation. So a little encouragement there from us as well. Georgina, a lot of the text on the Royal Geographical Society's website and as a part of your project mentions reshaping the geographies of home. Can you explain what does that mean? What we found in terms of the things that the children were depicting and drawing and showing through their maps was, uh, uh, you know, through their eyes, the way in which uh, home had taken on a new meaning for them during the, the periods of lockdown. And that meant a sort of reshaping in a sense of the sort of the reuse or the changing use of different spaces within the home. So the kitchen became the school workplace, you know, the place of the school, uh, school homework or places where they might zoom in for classes. Uh, their bedrooms became much more used in that kind of way as well. The different rooms became mom or dad's office um, and places that were, you know, mundane, uh, everyday places for them pre-COVID suddenly took on a new meaning. So places that were good for hiding, places that were good for games, places that were good for particular kinds of play. And so you see through the eyes of children depicted on these, these maps, the way in which some of the everyday places of the home took on a kind of new meaning in that kind of context. I think one of the really interesting features for us was the way in which uh, immediate outdoor places, whether they were gardens, yards or the street or local parks, took on a new meaning as well and really became absolutely vital to a children's sense of well-being during very difficult and complex time. So there's a sense of rediscovery of places in the immediate vicinity of the home. Um, as I say, not everybody depicted gardens, not everybody has gardens, you know, and some people depicted spaces outside of the home um, that were, were represented by the sky because people lived in high rises and so on. So, you know, you get that kind of representation of places taking on a new meaning because people are seeing things differently. The children are seeing things differently. So that became a really important feature for us, the kind of the, the outside space as well as the inside space of the home and the new meaning that was ascribed to that as a result of rediscovery of these places. So all kinds of different um, interpretations there as well. Um, but yeah, some really interesting sort of micro geographies coming into relief as well through that reinterpretation. So I mentioned a minute ago about the sort of mundane spaces taking on a new meaning, but we, we have some, some wonderful references to sort of micro geographies within particular places in the home 
whether it's a garage or whether it's a particular feature of the, you know, the telly or the a place where people held Zoom meetings. But we've got some wonderful maps that show very, very specific things. I'm thinking of that wonderful map where we've got a, um, a depiction and an annotated map of a football in the garage. And there's a, there's a spider on the football. And there's a little annotation alongside it with the, the young person saying, this is the spider that wouldn't let me play with my football because it was on my football and I couldn't get access to it. You know, So there's very specific things that sort of start emerging through the, through the map and the drawings that, uh, that sort of reveal the way in which different places become more important to the individual. It's a fascinating insight into representation and, and meaning. Um, Jackie, in your university bio, you have a quote um, on the purpose of research, uh, which is that it should challenge policy, empower resistances, platform voices, nurturing new critical publics and envision alternatives. What in the Stay Home Stories project did you achieve from that list? I feel like I should own up. And um, it's a quote from Machen about impacts of critical thinking around impact of research. Um, and I think it's a really powerful quote from her in that sense. I think in, in quite a lot of ways, the Stay Home project as a whole, so we're one strand of a three-strand project that looks at the, in the Stay Home Stories group. And I think as a whole, we hit most of those in different ways, because I think for us in our particular strand with children, we are really aware of the quote from the WHO that says that children were the silent, silenced victims of the pandemic. And I think for us in our particular strand, giving them the opportunity to be able to have a voice in a pandemic that really, particularly during the first stages of lockdown, um, weren't focused on the kind of difficult and poignant ways in which the pandemic was affecting young people, um, partly because there were so many aspects to getting our heads around the pandemic, but they really weren't receiving those voices in that way. So I think we were very keen to platform their voices and be part of that, and also um, to enable them to envisage their alternatives in that way. So having their representations of home, because we know that home, particularly in the age group we were looking at and at younger age group, is predominantly guided and led by adults and restrictions on place and restrictions on where we can go within the home are often led from a very adult perspective and giving them the opportunity to be able to say you know like here's my secret place that's really important to me or here are the spaces that were really significant to me were actually often quite different to that of some of the adults that we were speaking to on other aspects of the project and I, I think I remember we did some focus groups at the World Museum last summer speaking to some children who have been drawing maps for us and I, I remember with one group their mother was saying but you really loved the kitchen you really liked hanging out in the kitchen and um, this 11 year old girl was like I did not like the kitchen that is where I did homework I don't want to put the kitchen on my map and so we had this it was a real insight into how those perspectives were very different from how children perceive the home space to how adults necessarily perceive that space. So I think having them have that platform of voice, but also be able to bring a sort of different alternative perspective to how the pandemic had changed their vision of home in that way was really important. And I think stepping on from that, we've been able to include the maps in 
like reports in the Liverpool report that we wrote. We're in the midst of writing a report for London. We're in the midst of producing a larger policy report. And we've been able to include those maps and include those children's maps within those reports themselves. And I think that is not very common within reports to be able to include children's mapping and drawing and words directly into policy to say, look, we, this is what they're saying. This is directly their words and their pictures and their representations. And this should be heard and it should be a part of how we're considering moving beyond COVID-19 and the policies that we're putting together. Inclusivity and stay home stories being a platform for young people's voices definitely resonates from the project and map skills, of course. Could you explain what is counter mapping? So I think we've been back and forth thinking about counter mapping. I think we're quite confident in the idea that this sits within this idea of critical cartography. I think we're confident in this idea that it sits within critical cartography, that it sits within kind of creative mapping practices because we're really trying to pull through this idea of um like a grassroots level of understanding of maps and producing that through giving a kind of legitimization to that kind of participatory grassroots mapping methods and I think we start to think about it as fitting or connecting two ideas of counter mapping because maps were so prevalent during the pandemic um, in the news and in how we were thinking and talking about things, you know, lines where you couldn't go, markers of who had the most cases. I think we all became kind of oversaturated by those national maps with those little bleeping lights on of your areas, you know, in more trouble than other areas. And uh, particularly for me living in Manchester, I was constantly seeing my area highlighted in red on maps. And I think being given this over I think we started to think about challenging some of those notions of these kind of formalized ideas of what COVID looks like in mapping to be able to say actually for children understanding what areas are safe and not safe came across slightly differently and so that kind of politicized nature that came across in the map started forcing us to ask the question is this developing into a kind of counter mapping because it started out as this kind of critical cartography, creative cartography project, but it it sort of become a kind of counter mapping, I think. I think that's absolutely right, Jackie. And um, I think what the format of what came through as well is indicative of a kind of strand or understanding around, around counter mapping as well, because when we ran workshops in schools, which was another aspect of the project, um, we, we ran a few workshops with local Liverpool City Region schools and asked them to, to, to map their experiences and emotions and so on. The first question we, we get is, well, what do you mean by a map? You know, um, And so I think that the whole process allowed us to disrupt a little bit what is understood by a map. And Jackie and I did this exercise to kind of break the ice in the, in the school workshop saying, you know, is this a map? Is this a map? And showed some examples from the gallery, from the Royal Geographical Society Stay Home Gallery. And, you know, challenged the children to think about, well, is this a map and why is it a map? And so the other sort of dimension to this is is thinking about what children understand by a map, you know, and does it have to be in scale? Does it have to have particular kinds of terminology? Does it, is it in plain view? Is it in plan view? Is it in aerial view? What, you know, how do you represent something and what constitutes a map? And so we kind of... We're trying to challenge children um, to think about maps in a different kind of way. 
And, uh, uh, you know, coming back to the point around inclusivity, we left that very open deliberately. So to, to enable children and young people to think around the concept of a map and mapping and what it meant to them. And, and some of the images, as you'll see on the gallery, you know, do show things in perspective to other places in terms of distance or in terms of a plan or aerial view. Sometimes there's a cross section through a house, but it's still a map um, and you've got sort of directions provided, little arrows or little footprints, sometimes animal footprints showing their the pet movements around the house or in and around the vicinity. And you, you get this kind of relational representation, I think, on many of the maps that allows children to express what they understand about a map in a slightly different way. So I think there's that strand to, to you know, our understanding of counter mapping as well, though. Yeah, it's a really interesting and slightly controversial you know, area for us, I think. But I think we're, we're very open to thinking about these kinds of maps as alternative. And as Jackie was saying, you know, they're really bringing children's voices into relief in a, in a fantastic way during a period of crisis. And the Royal Geographical Society has had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these alternative maps, as you say, Georgina, into our Stay Home Gallery, which have been submitted from schools across the country. Can I ask, what type of ethnographic data have you collected from the illustrations? Yeah, so we, we didn't set out deliberately to ask people, um, you know, where are you come from? What's your background? What's the context? But interestingly, a lot of people are expressing that in the, the maps that they're producing. And so we do have references on the maps to people feeling that home is actually somewhere else um, in a different country in some contexts. And this is you know of interest to us. We also get depictions of things like prayer rooms or prayer spaces within uh, particular representations of home as well. And in terms of the co-located kinds of uh, facilities that are shown on some of the maps, there's indications coming through in some of the maps of um, relationships to church, relationships to particular places of worship that might provide us with an, an indication as well. But it's not something that we've actively gone out to try to test um, because we had this kind of in- inclusive approach to the to the project. So we were, you know, we were very much hoping that we would get different kinds of uh, views from different kinds of people in different kinds of schools, in different kinds of places. And that's exactly what's happened, really, I think. So it's not been targeted in that way. But I think that's allowed us to have a very broad um, understanding of, of the people who are producing maps and what's meaningful to them, really. I totally agree, Georgina, with when we're talking about the data we've collected. I think there was there's something very interesting around boundaries that we saw in the maps from um, a very spatial perspective, seeing where children chose to end or include in ideas of home. So where... where home was for them but also in ideas of um, a lot of the maps particularly amongst the older children sort of 13 14 15 year olds we saw a real recognition of um, safe spaces and dangerous spaces and how they represented and marked that quite distinctly with icons or with tapes or with crosses around that sense of certain spaces are not safe for me to go to and that is um I think something really interesting and something for us to think about as a group in terms of how that's impacting on well-being for that particular age group and how they're thinking and understanding their own personal safety and the risks of the pandemic from the outside and that was um that was really beautiful to see how they chose to do that and how they understood that in different ways and I think the other thing that we saw, particularly because of this creative methodology that we were 
using was this idea of the like sensory experiences being played out in the maps as well and this idea that some had this sense of like passing of time that they included in maps that we don't often see in more kind of formalized maps where they would include the kind of rituals and rhythms of their day in the map and mapping those onto those spaces which I think this kind of creative approach allowed us to see some of those aspects and to collect and understand some of those ethnographic phrases and uses and terms and icons in more significant ways around that kind of sensory and around kind of the idea of time passing which became so so important during that lockdown period because at first it was going to be a week and then it was going to be two weeks and then it was going to be a month and this idea of this never-ending when are we ever going to get out of it timeline came across quite a lot as well. And on top of what we've just talked about, so uh, young people identifying safe spaces and dangerous places and the passage of time, did any other themes emerge? Um, Borders or the hybridity of different rooms? Georgina, you were talking about the kitchen being multifunctional. Did other things emerge through your work? Yeah, I mean, you've hit on a couple of really important themes there for us, Harry. Um, So boundaries and borders, as Jackie's just said, uh, you know, in in some cases depicted very clearly as boundaries and borders with padlocks and ticker tape and all kinds of um, different kinds of representations of places people could go, couldn't go, places that were closed off for being unsafe. I think other areas focus on uh, the idea of uh, autonomy is another key theme, really. And uh, children and young people claiming more space as their own, I suppose. So we have plenty of maps that talk about my my kitchen, my living room, my bedroom, my garden. It's very personalised. But as you might anticipate, I think, with people being at home for more of the time, there's much more of a realisation of claimed territory within the home. And I think you know, it's, it's traditionally an adult space home you know where where children are governed by the adults in a way you know there's that kind of relationship not in a forced way but you know there's that kind of it's the adult's home the children live there but there's a kind of reversion in the maps to the way in which the children are are staking claims to the places that matter to them within the home and I think that kind of autonomy is a really interesting theme that's emerging I think one of the the other areas is around technology, inevitably, and in a very material sense. You know, the importance of technology in the home is clearly a, a powerful thread in, in in and across all of the maps, actually, whether that's uh, Zoom meetings, places where people had their lessons via Zoom, wherever that was possible, lots of people depicting gaming spaces, um, which became important um, for those who had access to that kind of technology. Uh, children and young people depicting time spent on their phones and so I think there's a there's a real um, strand uh, of interpretation of all of the maps that could focus on technology um, and I think we, we we see that in a range of different maps but again you know coming back to the point around socioeconomic kinds of opportunities and ethnographic data as well I think there's something to be said for thinking through that a little bit and cutting through some of that simplicity um, and simplistic interpretations of that and recognizing that actually you know, not all of the maps represent those kinds of things not all of the people had access to that kind of technology and what that meant for schooling for example at home and so on hybrids you mentioned hybridity before and that, that's a really powerful theme for us and actually for the whole of the project the the importance of green spaces which i alluded to earlier cannot be overstated in in this project as a whole 
So across all three strands as a broader project, but also our own strand, the importance of green spaces, whether that was parks or outdoors or just a single tree that could be seen from the from the indoors out in the outside world became absolutely vital and key features of a, a day-to-day existence during lockdown for a whole range of different kinds of reasons. So bringing the outside in and blurring those boundaries between the inside and the outside became absolutely pivotal to the way in which children negotiated staying at home, I think. And the green spaces became vital for health and well-being. And there are different facets to the projects, as I understand it. For example, you've also looked at how religious practice at home has changed. We've talked a lot about where young people eat and sleep and work and how all of that overlaps. But there's also a consideration of where people pray and, and practice their different religions when they're confined to the home. Yes, we we have seen some of that come through in the um, mapping project that we've been doing with the children in terms of special places in the houses that some of the children have marked as prayer spaces in that way. But um, one of the strands of the Stay Home project specifically has been looking at religion and how that has changed during the COVID-19 pandemic and particularly during Stay Home. And I think they are building a kind of toolkit around that and looking at the kind of domesticization of religious space within the home, which has been really interesting. And um, we saw just small samples of that in the work that we gained in terms of, I think, particularly around kind of social connection and people missing seeing people in those spaces and being able to connect in that way, but also in terms of that kind of micro and how people every day use their homes, having to set aside spaces with which to be able to understand and partake in religious practices in some way. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's it in a nutshell, Jackie, actually. From our perspective, that's what we saw. I think in in the other dimensions of the, the project, our colleagues as a whole, our colleagues have been looking at the implications of stay home instructions and the sort of social practices that would be the norm. So, you know, obviously a very difficult time over COVID and there were, you know, people could not say a proper farewell to to loved ones um, who and, and bereaved families, I guess, had to deal with funerals in a very different kind of way they had to deal with festivals in a different kind of way and so our colleague on the project uh, Mary Lawrence has been specifically focusing on this dimension of the work and looking through the eyes of different kind of faith groups to see how their normal practices were disrupted and also the agility with which um, different groups sort of worked around these kinds of restrictions and actually enabled new forms of access for people to actually participate in religious practices in a range of different ways. So, you know, there's some really interesting work on that strand. Um, I think that that's probably less in profile on our on our maps. It's the things that the children weren't and young people weren't necessarily dealing with directly. But we, we do see, as Jackie was saying, different spaces within the home use for particular kinds of practices. And actually, I think the film is just going to come online this week, which was a project that's part crosses between the arts strand of our project and the religion side of the project around a, an Eid quilt that was built with Praxis in London. And uh, they made a film about that and the kind of specification of religion, both being expressed through that quilt, but also about that community during those periods, which I think if people are interested in that side of it might be a really interesting place to go and see some of the work that's been happening on that as well. 
And finally, what do you have in mind uh, for extending the project? Are there other things in the pipeline? There's quite a few things. Um, and it's, it's about restricting us, really, I think, in, in some senses, because we keep coming up with new ideas. What, one of them, maybe we'll, we'll take it in turns to think about some of the things that are coming through, Jackie, but one of the threads that I think is really interesting for us, and we started to develop this with Greater London Authority, is thinking about the methodology that we've used and the way it can be used to work with children to think about key societal challenges. So we've started doing some work with the GLA uh, in the way in which mapping can be used to bring into relief the importance of environmental issues, environmental challenges, as they appear to children um, and young people. So there's been some school work that Jackie and a colleague of ours, Rachel Byrne, have been working on with schools in London that look at the way in which children are mapping environmental issues and, and how we can use the methodology in that kind of way to explore environmental competencies, environmental knowledge, environmental awareness, particularly around things like climate change, air pollution and so on. So I think that's one strand of activity that we've started to develop um, around environmental competency, but we'd, we'd like to sort of push that a little bit further, I think. You know, again, coming back to something Jackie said earlier, really, it's about sort of grassroots perspectives, so children's perspectives and grassroots perspectives through children's eyes on key societal challenges. We're also very keen to work with other initiatives that have used maps and mapping as a process or as a, an approach. Um, we are in touch with a number of key initiatives, not least brokered through uh, the Royal Geographical Society, actually, including uh, the, the gang behind Maps of Meaning. And we're, we're very keen to sort of pursue the way in which our maps might sit in a broader portfolio of, of maps that children have done and provide a kind of sub-portfolio, right? So you've got the kind of you know ongoing work that looks at mapping and children's perspectives through time. And then you've got these you know two, three particular years of the COVID crisis that provide this really important eyewitness, effectively, account of the way in which children's lives were disrupted at home. And I think going forward, I think that's going to be incredibly useful as a kind of citizen science you know, type project, really, in the future. And it would be good to be able to archive that appropriately. So, you know, once once it does close down at the RGS and we don't have the gallery up and running anymore to think about where, where we might be able to deposit all of those wonderful maps so that there's a legacy um, of them going forward. One of the most important aspects for us is being able to make the maps available for others as well because we've seen so many important themes come through and some that perhaps we're not in the position to fully investigate like how viruses are represented on the maps and the shapes that they take and how they're understanding how the virus spreads through what they've represented on their maps clearly Georgina and I are not um any form of expert in how viruses move around or what they look like I don't think I've ever seen an actual virus through a microscope so but being able to use this kind of geographical project as a conduit for others and working interdisciplinary and cross-disciplinary to understand some of these maps better and to help be a resource for other subjects to also understand kind of children's perspectives and understandings of COVID-19 during that period. I think we're very keen to put them into a format where they can be this kind of resource that reaches beyond our areas into other kind of interdisciplinary forms as well. So just the beginning. Georgina, Jackie, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the Ask the Geographer podcast series on iTunes and SoundCloud.com.
Be inspired and stay informed with the Society's wide range of resources, many of which are free. School membership unlocks access to other excellent resources, including online lectures and many other tailor-made benefits for teachers and students. Access our resources at www.rgs.org schools.